The following podcast contains explicit language. He did write a court story. I rewrote it. What? Girls do not do rewrites. Why not? That's simply how we do things here. We have rules, protocol. Those rules are dumb. If copy's good, it's good. Young lady, you might not want to make waves. Unless we have doubts about our decision to hire you. But you just said my rewrite hit the bullseye. That was your word. Bullseye. Why is everyone standing around here like a bunch of carnies? Back to work. You too, dear. Welcome to a new episode of Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host as always, and I hope you all are doing well. A moment ago, you heard a scene from the new Amazon original series, Good Girls Revolt. It's a period dramedy loosely based around the gender discrimination lawsuit filed by female employees at Newsweek magazine in 1970. I recently had a great chat with Joy Bryant, who plays the trailblazing attorney and now congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represented the women of Newsweek in their case and won. So Joy is someone who's been working in this business for some time now. You may know her as love interest Cheryl in Antoine Fisher or from the Kevin Hart comedy About Last Night. But perhaps her most beloved role, as my producer Verilyn can fervently attest, is her role as Jasmine on the critically acclaimed drama Parenthood. With Good Girls Revolt, she had the chance to play a real-life person for the first time in her career. Prior to the 1970 Newsweek lawsuit, almost all of the women at the magazine, most of them white, were barred from being staff writers, though they were allowed to work in the mailroom and help research and report stories. Basically, they could do plenty to help create a story without any of the formal credit. According to Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, this was actually illegal. And once this became apparent to some of the women there, the pushback began. I spoke with Joy via phone about her role as Norton, her experiences as a woman of color in the film industry, and, of course, we slipped in a bit of time for parenthood, too. Check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Joy. Thank you for having me. Why was it important for you on Good Girls Revolt to play Eleanor Holmes Norton in the first place? I read the book about four years ago, Good Girls Revolt, written Mm -hmm. by Lynn Povich, who was one of the women at Newsweek who filed suit. And it was definitely a story that I didn't know about. Then to know that Eleanor, the Eleanor Holmes Norton, was a part of that story... I put it down, and I'm like, okay, somebody needs to make this, mm-hmm. and when they do, I'm definitely playing her, like, for <laughs> real. So I'm friends with uh, Linda Opes, who is a sister, a mentor to me, and, and I was like, wow, you know, Linda would be the perfect person to, to, to do this. I mean, she, she was a journalist. She probably knows the story. She was friends with North Efron. Perfect. And, and uh, two, late, two months late after I read the book, um, Lynn and I were, were hanging out together, and I, and I showed it to her, and I was like, you got to do this. And she's like, I just got the rights to that. I'm like, what? Wow. I'm playing Eleanor. <laughs> um, and so three years later, um, it became reality. And it's not often that, um, you know, you, you, you sort of visualize something or want something and then it actually happens the way that you, or even better than you could possibly imagine. I've never played a character that is actually based on someone who is alive or existed or exists. So I felt a tremendous amount of responsibility to do her story or her side of the story justice. 
And I mean, to she's an extraordinary woman who I feel could use even more attention to like the contributions that she made to the women's movement and also to the civil rights movement. And to get to know her is just like, you know, I love, this is like, this, I love my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was it specifically about her that jumped out at you and made you want to play her? I think just the fact that she was a badass during the time when being a badass who was a black woman, black feminist, was, you know, could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And she always put herself, she always put her ass on the line. Mm -hmm. Originally, there were a, a couple or a few black female researchers at Newsweek who did not join the suit. And it was totally understandable because they, many women, many black women during those times found themselves feeling that they had to choose between black liberation and, and, and women's liberation. And she was definitely one of the um, women at that time who was trying to bridge that gap and didn't get the opportunity to do that at Newsweek then. So in the fictional accounts of that, that was something that was brought up. See, these women have something very important in common with us. They're second-class citizens. And you and I know exactly how that feels, don't we? Kept from your full potential, paid less than your worth, talked down to, told to shut up, stay in your place. These women live in a box just like you. So don't be fooled because their box looks a little more comfortable than yours. It's still a box. I definitely, I actually wanted to ask you about that that scene in, um, I think it's episode five of the show. And mm -hmm. when um, you are brought in to sort of convince one of the Black researchers to... Uh, and, and convince them, you know, you say, we need to figure out how to to utilize the Civil Rights Act for for our our own purposes. Mm -hmm. And so that that she Eleanor in real life was never able to do that. And did. No. Wow. And did she you spoke with her throughout this process. So like what did she like? What did she talk about? Like, was that similar the scene that we see in the show similar to sort of what she tried to do, even though it didn't necessarily work? I didn't actually speak to her that much during the, the show. The, the writers did. Got it, got um, it. I spoke to her sporadically, but she did make herself available to the writing staff and actually every episode they were in contact with her. I don't think any conversation actually occurred like that. The fact that the, the black researchers on the show actually join the suit is completely opposite of what happened. Right. But I think it represents the struggle between the two. And I know it, it's definitely something that she wished she was successful at in, in getting them to, to be on board. Um, but those, those women ended up having great careers for themselves in media, you know, they thought just the mere fact of getting into Newsweek, they're like, all right, I'm here. <laughs> you know, <Right>. like, <laughs> um, that fight is not my fight right now because I'm here. Right. I mean, it, it just that that scene in particular just felt it felt really real to me in the way that like as a black woman, sometimes at least I can say that I feel conflicted as to like having to choose sides or feeling like you have to choose sides of, yeah. you know, it, you, you say at one point, I understand why you feel this is not your fight uh, to the character. 
And Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something you've at least felt at at times, whether it was within your career or one of the things that's going percolating around in Hollywood right now is like the wage equality gap. Mm -hmm. And we see lots of different stars, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Patricia Arquette. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm just I'm just really glad. I think I know where you're leading with this because I'm really glad that actually Viola Davis kind of cracked that. Yeah. In terms of because that was actually something that has existed for a really long time and no one's given voice to it because I'm sure a lot of people didn't like, ooh, I don't want to like go all the way there with that. Right. But like, well, I'll come back to that. Going back to that scene, you know, my motivation was that we had an opportunity as I'm speaking to Denise, but speaking to many women, right? Mm-hmm. Like the sort of line between black feminism or, or, or women of or feminism or women of color versus mainstream white feminism or, 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 or white middle class feminism and often the tone deafness of white feminism towards people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and also sometimes the sort of like side eye we kind of give them when, you know, you're speaking about rights and all these things, but you're not really taking into account our realities. Right. They're different. So at least for me, I was trying to pack that in there some way or give some type of voice to that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, you know, I was, I was actually speaking about this um, recently, but it's like even when the conversation, when it comes to wage gap, that's not like women on average. I mean, like all women on average. No, it's talking about white women. Right. It doesn't take into account that black women make less than that and Latino women that make less than that. And Native women make even way less than that. Um, I forgot the specific figures. It's like, what, like 69 to like, and then below, whatever. So, you know, when it comes to Hollywood, yeah, there's always been a pay gap. And it's great that we're able to talk about these things. And again, I think, you know, I know that like, you know, when Patricia Patricia Arquette was talking about wage equality, um, and me and she was speaking from our heart about it, but it's like, you know, we have to be aware that even within that discussion, that there's disparities. It's not just, you know, once that's settled, it's all good. Right. It's not. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that's one thing I really admire about you is that you you discuss a lot about these sorts of things. You talk about these things. You've written about um, sort of your experience as a, as a woman and as a black woman in this industry. Um, you, there was a piece you wrote earlier this year in Refinery29 about sort of coming to accept your body and and accepting, loving yourself w- within all these different contexts of being like growing up around black people, but then also um, interacting with white people. And you also, you, you wrote a really great piece uh, in Lenny Letter, um, Lena Thank Dunham's newsletter. Yeah, that was about your decision not to have kids. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I'm curious as to, for someone of in your position, I, I imagine it's it can be difficult to do that because do you, do you feel as if though you might be giving up work, potential work, speaking out about these things, and and like what motivates you to be so vocal um, about I such personal things? Think I'm not, I mean, that's great. Thank you. I don't even think I'm that vocal. Honestly, <laughs> I think I could probably be more. I think I'm just speaking the truth, at least my truth as I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for saying that, but I, I just welcome. feel like it's just—I'm not making it up, right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you do you feel though like between between now and when you first started, and obviously for anyone, it's always going to be a little bit 
for the most part, difficult when you're just starting out um, and in this business. But do you feel as though things have gotten better for for black women and and for women in general? Like, do you see things changing in the way? I mean, obviously, there's a lot more discussion about these things. But are you seeing anything within the industry yourself that like makes it feel as though we're getting better about the way we treat women and women I, of color? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've made tremendous strides. Um, well, in the country at large, and especially in in in, in the business and or the industry that I'm in, for sure, for sure. Mm. Um, but there's so we have far to go. It's like the fight's not over. It's like you know when when Barack Obama was elected, people seemed to think that we were post-racial, and huh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a that's a big step forward, but we're still waiting for that leap. You know, and I think when. When Hillary is elected, that obviously misogyny and sexism is not going to just disappear. It's anything. It's getting even stronger because as people are trying to hold on and cling to the whatever privilege and power they have, you know, like yeah. it's not going to make it easy. And I think that in our industry, we've made tremendous strides and women have accomplished incredible things and people of color and women of color have, have accomplished tremendous things, but it's still not enough. And until we are across the board and until we don't have to have these conversations, you know, the fight must continue and people have to talk about it. You know, I think people are feeling more comfortable now speaking out about things because like, it's that time to do that. Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, it's always been that time, but you know, everyone, you, you kind of have to come to your own realizations about things and not everybody um, is either quote unquote outspoken or not everyone is, 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 is understanding their place within all of this. It takes time for that. But I think that um, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, there needs to be more women and more people of color in positions of power, not just in Hollywood, but everywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, in order for in order for things to really change, because um, you know the the industry and the country and every other industry is dominated by straight white men. Yeah, that's a change. Mm -hmm. And our industry is no no different. And and while yes, I celebrate um, everything that women um, accomplish and everything that women of color or, or, or people of color accomplish, it's not it's not time to break out the champagne yet. Yeah, I mean, no. I one <laughs> one of, one of the ways that like I, I see people, especially those of us who who aren't straight white guys, are are, are trying to counter these things is taking things in, into our own hands. And you mm -hmm. have you have your own production company, correct? Yeah, I started my, my own production company with one of the smartest women that I know, um, who's my one of my best friends and oldest friends. We've been friends since since high school, since we're like fourteen years old, Anuka Bakoti. And it's taking me like a while. I mean, I always knew that I didn't just want to act, but I didn't really know anything other than that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't, I couldn't really articulate the things that I wanted to do. And, you know, as I've matured, I know that there are stories that I want to tell and I want to share, and they don't necessarily have to anything to do with me, <laughs> mm -hmm. other than just wanting to, to tell stories, really, whether it is by my own hand or by producing various projects 
but those are things that are important to me. Is there any character in particular, just a type of character that you're hoping to create for yourself? Now that you've done, you know, a real life character, Eleanor, like what what's sort of a dream role or a dream type of film or TV show that you haven't done yet that you'd love to do? Well, specifically, I would really love to play Althea Gibson. Mm. she's a like, tennis even, tennis again, player yeah, yeah yeah and even though she's again like another real um a, a person who actually existed her story is one that i feel is worth exploring and bringing to the world so that people that so that like even more people understand what her contributions were to the world of tennis and just the world at large mm. but i think in general or to be more general in terms of the, the kinds of roles that i would like to do um I definitely would like to do more comedy <laughs> for myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I have to ask you a question about parenthood or else my producer, Verilyn, will... <laughs> well, she'll, she'll... I knew it was coming. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's such a beloved show. And, you know, you, for six seasons, you starred as Jasmine Trussell and you were married to Crosby Braverman, who uh, was is was played by Dax Shepard. Uh parents, siblings, nieces, nephews, um, I have, uh, or rather we have an announcement to make. We're getting married! (gasps) Jasmine, welcome to Crazy Town. (laughs) The show was able to tackle race and religion in a way that didn't feel forced. And I'm curious as to whether that was like something that the writers intentionally wanted to do or if that's something you sort of brought to the your role or did you ever were you ever a participant in the conversations about like how to make these characters feel real and and but still address these very you know sensitive subjects you know we 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 had sort of general conversations about that but we just had a really talented writers on the on the show mm-hmm. Jason Kadams just has a really great hand and um, assembled a, a talented bunch of people and so one of the great things about the show is that while we have this talented writing room and, and this and this great creator show creator um, in Jason Kadams they were very open to hearing what we had to say and our opinions about things and if something didn't feel right and it, it felt collaborative. Mm. Um, And they gave us a lot of freedom. You know, it's interesting that with such a talented group of writers, they still gave us the freedom to riff. Like they weren't precious with the words, even though the words were really dope. Mm -hmm. I think that's why the the feel of the show felt very natural and and, and, and not like written, even though it was. Mm -hmm. I and everyone else is just lucky that that, that's, that's what we were working with. So I can't take credit for any of those. <laughs> can't take credit for most of it. I take credit for a tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> awesome. Well, my last question for you before we go. When can you think of is the last time you felt you saw yourself, you were represented on screen? Um, well, I can just go immediately to the last film that I saw, um, which is Moonlight. Ah, I just... Uh, 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 that did movie. you see it? I did see it. It's... Uh. it's uh, Heartbreaking, devastating. When did you see it? I saw it uh, a few weeks ago, maybe like three weeks ago. And the director, Barry Jenkins, was actually just on our show last week. I mean, it sat with me for days. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah. But I have to say that, you know, Naomi Harris did her fucking thing. She, she did. did thing. She ripped and, through that role. Yeah. Ooh, and I can't believe that she only had three days to do all of that. Yeah, I read that. She was, like, That's in the thing. middle of, like, press a press tour or something. Yeah. And then she, like... She, she went to Miami for three days and then went back to her press store and is like, wow. Yeah, that's insane. Wow. But the way that she portrayed the mother, um, you know, my mother battled drug addiction and we had a very estranged, estranged um, relationship. Mm. And, or I should say, I said estranged for a reason, I'm sure. Strained <laughs> and estranged. <laughs> really, I just combine that, those two <laughs> words. But, um... And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, mm. I felt it. Yeah. I understood. And, and even though she's the mother to a son, um, I felt that. I knew, I knew what he was feeling. And my mother wasn't as, like, like off the chain as the character, um, at times the character that Naomi plays, um, mm. um, um, uh, portrayed. But I, I felt that. I felt that in every core of my being. Yeah. I mean, that that's the great thing about that movie is just it, even if you can't relate specifically to it, it still feels so universal. And yeah, the feeling of, of loneliness or. Uh, yeah, it's still. And so, and, so, and so while there wasn't a um, I'm, it's not specifically a character that represents me, but her character and their dynamic represents a dynamic in a relationship that I lived mm. um, a version of. Yeah. Or so that got me like, I don't even, I mean, I haven't been that affected by a film in a, in a minute. Well, since OJ made in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That movie also just sat with me for a while. Well, yeah. one of my really good friends directed it. So like, ah. <laughs> I saw, I've, I've seen that. I've seen OJ made in America from start to finish three times. Wow. In addition to like other just hours of other footage that like I'm like I can't get enough. That is commitment. Well yeah I, I think we can both say that we would recommend everyone go see both OJ Made in America and Moonlight if you haven't already or see it again. See yo, them yo, both yo. again. <laughs> it's instances like that like Moonlight or OJ Made in America or Atlanta <gasps> oh. or Solange's album. Yes, that, yes. That those are all representation for me anyway. Those are all representations of like black art in the highest form. And when we are allowed to just do what we want to do, uninhibited by anything, any any agenda, anyone else's agendas or expectations or any of those things, that we too can um, create. I mean, we, this, it's not like this is the, the only times that, that art like that has been created, but it's interesting that they're all happening in the same time. They're all coming out like this. You know, so people want to talk about a renaissance. I don't know if it's necessary because people talk about the black renaissance and film and stuff like five years ago and then what happened, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, to me, those are, the, those are the examples of, like, what to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Like, total artistic freedom is what... what and just, I'm just, again, I'm just talking about entertainment, <laughs> Um, just to be a bit thin, you know, thin slice the struggle a little bit, but to have complete artistic freedom as an artist, as a black artist, like, bam, those are examples of that. And that's what I aspire to. So, yeah, I, I feel, I feel you on all of those accounts. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, every, everything, Atlanta, Solange, 
Moonlight, yeah. Like, all day, every day. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joy, for coming on. And it was a pleasure to have you. And Thank you. Yeah, Good Girls Revolt. It's out on Amazon. So yes. everyone should check it out. Well, that's all we've got for today. It was a pleasure having Joy on, especially to geek out over all the great Black filmmaking that's happening right now. And you can check out Good Girls Revolt now, streaming on Amazon Prime. You can find links to the things we touched on in the show notes. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. And we now have a link that will make sharing represent easier than ever. You can also find that in the show notes. It's a megaphone link that, regardless of what device you're on, whether it's iPhone, Android, or web browser, it'll send you exactly where you need to go to subscribe. And if you haven't already, rate us on iTunes. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlin Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer at Panoply. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. And music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band, Midtown Social. Until next time. Hold up. 